chapter 11. Chronologically, we're now in the last week of Jesus' life in Mark chapter 11. I, you know, I look back to this, considering how long it took us to uh, get through Galatians, we have just moved at a breakneck pace through the gospel of Mark, which makes me fearful I'm leaving too much on the table. But we'll trust the Lord with all that. We, um, <clears throat> in the last couple, of, uh, last couple of weeks, we've talked about marriage and focus out of chapter 10, verses 1 through 12, and we talked about what the Lord has to say about the matter of divorce. The metrics of a childlike faith, chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. A childlike faith is when you're trusting, receptive, and completely dependent on Christ. Mark 10, 17 through 31, when mammon gets a foothold. When mammon gets a foothold, that's that pursuit of wealth to the exclusion of the things of God. Works overshadow grace, benefits overrule service, and pride overrides reality. This, of course, was the encounter of the rich young ruler with Jesus. And then last time, I'm sorry, two weeks ago, we talked about ministry fundamentals, Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 45. If you want to be successful and vibrant in your ministry for Christ, there's three fundamentals you've got to always remember. Pay attention to your master. Properly appreciate his message and purpose to appropriate his mindset. Then last week, we talked about the marks of the master's favorite faith, this blind man we call Bartimaeus. Um, The favorite faith of the Lord is a faith that knows its Bible, that can't be silenced, that believes God will hear, that needs only Jesus, that trusts in God's goodness, that is completely surrendered, and then it gets specific, and then it follows. Now we find ourselves in Mark chapter 11. And verse number 1. And when they came nigh to Jerusalem unto Bethphage, unto Bethany, I'm sorry, Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, he sent forth, he sendeth forth. I don't need my glasses, y'all. I've just forgotten how to read. Man, let's try that again. And when they came nigh to Jerusalem unto Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples. He saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied, whereon never man set, loose him, and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. And they went their way and found the colt tied by the door without in a place where two ways met, and they loose him. And certain of them that stood there said unto them, What do ye, loosing the colt? They said unto them, Even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. And many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees and strawed them in the way. And they that went before um, and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. When he looked round about upon all things, and now the eventide uh, was come, he went out unto Bethany with the twelve. Father, would you help us now as we look to your word? Would you help me to rightly divide it and be help to your people? 
Um, Lord, this is a serious thing that I get to do. The preaching and teaching of your word is a high and holy task. And Lord, I pray that you'd help me to live up to it. And may Jesus be lifted up in it. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, you're going to notice there are some overlaps of a message that was preached on Palm Sunday. That's just kind of the nature of it. There's not too many different perspectives you can take on this event. So you might hear a couple of the same things you heard that Sunday morning. Um, so I apologize in advance if it seems a little bit rewarmed. It's not, but it's going to sound that way. Um, but there's just certain truths that need to be rehearsed over and again. So Jesus is in what people call his passion week. This is the last week of his life on earth. And he's leaving, uh, he's leaving Jericho where he's healed Bartimaeus. On the way, Jesus is never idle. He's always doing something. So on the way, there's just this small little side matter of Zacchaeus. <laughs> he takes care of Zacchaeus on the way. And he finds himself in Bethany. Uh, by the way, he also taught a parable about the 10 pounds, which is a wonderful truth there that we'll cover some other time. But he goes to Bethany. It's only about two miles from where he'll die. And he's in this little town, and he's uh, there at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. This is a safe, refreshing haven of love for Jesus, who is even now, I think, beginning to feel the weight of my sin as it starts to pile on him. Can't imagine what that must have been like. You've got Mary there, you've got Martha there, and you've got a reanimated Lazarus. Now, I'm careful the term that I'm using there. Lazarus was not resurrected. Resurrection means you die, you live again, and never die again after that. Lazarus would die again. He was reanimated. He was revived. He was re-a lot of things, but he wasn't re-resurrected. about that? That's the European pronunciation. Just makes me sound smarter. But there he sits, and it's during this time that Mary anoints Jesus' feet with that costly spike nerd, and she's showing that she seems to be the only one on the planet that understands what's about to happen, other than Jesus. The disciples followed Judas' leadership in complaining about this perceived waste of ointment, which Judas had no concern at all about money being given to the poor. He had just soon had it himself. And Jesus rebukes them and commends her. And it's from there that he embarks on what we've called his triumphal entry. Contrary to his normal practice of maintaining a relatively low profile as much as he can, Jesus seems to purposely stir up the crowd in town. And there's a lot of people around. They're about to, they're about to uh, go through with the Passover, and it's estimated that anywhere between 1 and 2 million people have converged on Jerusalem for this. And by the way, the triumphal entry, when you read about it in the Gospels, it's only at the last part that Jesus goes through the eastern gate and into Jerusalem. This, this procession happens at least from Bethany, two miles that people see him coming and lay down their cloaks and lay down their palm trees. And, and then he goes through the eastern gate, which, by the way, you can't do today. There's no gate there. It's closed up. But it will open back up at one point. 
They can brick it up all they want to. When Jesus is ready to come back through that gate again, he will. If there's no gate there, he'll make a gate. If I'm, if I'm right on my geography, I think currently that's the site of a Muslim graveyard right now. Yeah, but it don't matter to Jesus. He's coming which way he wants to come. That's where kings come in. Kings come in through the eastern gate. He'll come in through the eastern gate just like he did in this occasion. This miracle-working Nazarene will ultimately enter in through that gate on a donkey, officially presenting himself as Messiah. That's what he does here. He's officially presenting himself as their Messiah. The living fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon the colt, the foal of an ass. This was something that was predicted some 550 years before it happened. Now, when we celebrate this event today, we call it Palm Sunday. But there is so much going on here, and I wish we had the time and the wherewithal to just break these passages down in all four Gospels, which, by the way, one of the few things that all four Gospels covers But I think what we want to focus on tonight is that Jesus offers himself, and just days later, the same people that are crying Hosanna are going to cry crucify him. They reject their Messiah. And what I would call this, in keeping with our alliteration, is what a monumental forfeiture. They have the opportunity. There he is right before them, their Messiah, and they forfeit all the blessing that comes with that. They reject him wholesale. They forfeit it. No, thank you. We'll not have this man. See? Now, we could spend all night talking about how dumb a decision that was by the Jews. We could, but we're not. Because I think of the better use of our time would be to realize how often we forfeit the blessings that God puts before us. We're no better than them. And just as Jesus presented himself, the the fruition of 3,000 years of praying, Jesus presents us with potential blessings, and we forfeit them all the time for the same reasons that they did. For the same reasons that they did. So there's four things to which we need to pay close attention. Let's pay close attention to four things, okay? Number one, if you don't want to forfeit the blessing of God, pay close attention to the planning of seasoned experts. The planning of seasoned experts. What in the world are you talking about, Andy? Verse number one, when they came not to Jerusalem unto Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, go your way into the village over against you. And as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied wherein never man sat. 
Loose him and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. And they went their way and found the colt tied by the door without in a place where two ways met, and they loose him. And certain of them that stood there said unto them, What do ye loose in the colt? And they said unto him, Even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. So Jesus has instructed two disciples to go and to get the animals, and I do say animals, plural. We'll talk about that in a minute, that he's going to need for this. Now, many people portray this as some kind of a supernatural occurrence. Why are you taking the colt? The Lord needs this colt. You don't need this colt. The Lord needs this colt. Like if they're just saying that, put some kind of, yes, take the donkey. Now, is that within Jesus' ability to do that? Sure it is. But I've read this passage over and over and over. And they say when you read Scripture, the most obvious explanation is often the one you go with. And do you know what I think the most obvious explanation is? It seems to me that Jesus planned ahead. Did Jesus ever use his divinity to benefit himself? Not once. So if he needs a donkey, does it not stand to reason that in keeping with his humanity, at some point he went to the owners of these donkeys, seeing what he would need, and he said, hey, I'm going to be coming through this time of day on this day. I'm going to need a donkey. Do you mind if I use yours? And then they say, well, well, sure, that'd be fine. And so when he says, tell them that I have need of them, he's not saying put some kind of weird Jedi mind trick on them. Just tell them, and they'll remember, oh, yeah, he came and said that. That, to me, is the most obvious reading of this passage. And those, I went through all four Gospels again fresh today to make sure there was nothing in there that told me otherwise, and I didn't see anything to convince me otherwise. I did see a verse that convinces me that I'm right. Hold your place here and go to John 12. It seems to me this is a result of Jesus planning ahead. He anticipated a need and he set it up. John chapter 12, verse number 14. And Jesus... When he had found a young ass. Who? He. That tells me that the first one to see the donkey that he would use was Jesus. I love it when I'm right and then the Bible comes behind me and confirms it. That's that's not how it's supposed to work. We find out what the Bible says and we get alongside that. But every once in a while you trip up and and do something right in spite of yourself. (laughs) I sound a lot more smarmy than I mean to there. I can't prove that's how it is, but you can't prove it isn't. Now here's the question we've got to ask. This is what this whole thing, planning of seasoned experts, means. How many blessings have we forfeited because we didn't anticipate needs and take the time or make the effort to make appropriate arrangements for him. Let's let's take some examples here. 
How about your household finances? How many of us, and I'm in this number, how many of us have heard about a need or something that we wanted to do for the Lord and we just can't do it because we didn't have the foresight years ago to get ourselves in order so we could do this later on down the road? I wish I'd have planned ahead. How about educational opportunities? One of my great regrets is I had a period in my life where I had the opportunity to get more education, to better myself, and I didn't take advantage of it. And now I find I just don't have the time to do it. So I must stay in my relative ignorance for now. How about this? How about practical knowledge? Something that I'm really trying to do is I'm really trying to, on purpose, spend some time with my kids, teaching them things that they don't need right now, but they will need later. And as you would imagine, sometimes they're like, what? No, you're going to need this later. I hope I'm around when it hits them. Hey, now I get why. You know. How about spiritual advice? How much time are we using sitting down with those under our influence, whether it's our kids or somebody else, sitting down with those under our influence and giving them truth to plan for the future? I don't want to embarrass him, but something I really enjoyed. In my, I was in my study today, and Brother Earl slipped down to the office there and was talking with Brother Foster and just pouring all kinds of knowledge into his head, and heaven knows he needs it. And uh, anyway, I like that. I like that. You see, there's people out there that are, they know more than we do. They're seasoned, they're experts at what they're doing, and they've planned ahead, just like Jesus planned ahead. And, and we, would, we would forfeit a whole lot of blessings if we don't learn to do that. The planning of seasoned experts. If you don't want to forfeit blessings, also you've got to make much of the priority of spiritual example. Now, chapter 11, verse 6. And they said unto them, even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. Now, that's accurate, but the Gospels don't always tell us the whole story individually. That's why you read all four of them. Hold your place here and go to Matthew 21. Matthew 21. Matthew gives us... More information. As they begin the trek to the city, Jesus instructs two disciples to get a donkey, not the strong, fast kind that's preferred by Israelite kings of old, but a slow, gentle beast of burden. And what we find out in Matthew is they were to get a young donkey and his mother. Matthew 21, verse 1. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethphage, under the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say all unto you, you shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. 
All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they sat him thereon. Reminding you what, Je- what Zechariah 9 9 says Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. We went through this in New Testament survey in college. And my professor in that, in that class had, you know, I think 47 doctorates or something like that. He's not there anymore, so Zach's not going to have to deal with him. All right. But we went over this passage, and I went up to him after class, and I said, you know, one of the Gospels says that there were two, the mother and the foal, and the other three only one. Is there significance to that? And this well-studied man looks at me and says, no, not really. And I didn't believe him then, and I don't believe him now. Why did Matthew include it if there's no significance to it? And I have labored over that ever since then, and we talked about it on Palm Sunday. I think there's three things for us to consider regarding the role of worship in our families and being used of God. Now, once again, as I did on Palm Sunday, let me make this clear. I am not comparing mothers to donkeys. Okay? Notice, first of all, Jesus made use of the parent before he made use of the child. When Jesus chose for service, he wanted both the mother, the parent, and her child. Those of us that are parents, God wants us, and he wants our kids, not one or the other. Mom's presence calmed the colt. Can I tell you something? There's nothing that's more helpful to a kid wanting to serve the Lord than for mom and dad to be serving the Lord too. Jesus rode the mom first, then the foal. So you see that Jesus made use of the parent before he made use of the child. Oh, God, use my child. I pray this every night for my kids. Lord, use them mightily, Father, I pray. But then I have to look in the mirror and say, okay, am I letting him use me first? Second thing to consider. Jesus made use of the parent before he made use of the child. Number two, both seemed to be content to be used of Jesus as he saw fit. One was ridden and the other carried the clothes. And if you're not satisfied with the way Jesus is using you, your kid will pick up on that. And they'll be dissatisfied in service of the king too. Third thing to think about, the child was reserved for Jesus's use. Back in Mark chapter 11, verse number 2, he saith unto them, go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied, whereon never man set. Loose him and bring him. How many of us present our kids to Jesus after they've already been used by the world and the culture and all the things, entertainment and all of that? No, I need to reserve my kids for the master's use alone. It's our responsibility to keep our children reserved for the master's use, and we forfeit all manner of blessing when we do not. 
the priority of spiritual example. Okay? So if we want to have God's blessing, the first thing we need to pay close attention to is the planning of seasoned experts, the priority of spiritual example. That brings us to number three. Jesus takes his place on these animals, first the mother, then the foal. And he begins that trek of about two miles from Bethphage to Jerusalem. As he does so, the crowds gather in and around his path, and muted whispers swell into large shouts. You'd imagine it starts something like this. Is, is, that, is that the one that, that brought that man back from the dead? Is, is that the one that healed that blind man in Jericho? Is, is that, and before long, those whispers give way to, Hosanna! To the son of David, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And they wave palm branches and lay their cloaks across the road. But in less than a week, many of those same voices go from crying Hosanna to crucify him. How in the world does that happen? That's number three. We need to pay close attention to the peril, the danger of skewed expectations. Verse 7, Matthew 11, I'm sorry, Mark 11, verse 7. They brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him, and many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees and strawed them in the way. And they that went before and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. I want you to listen to Matthew. If you want to, you can turn to Matthew 21. Here's Matthew's account, and he adds adds a little detail that I think is important. Matthew 21, verse 8, And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. Or as we say here, destroyed them. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. The prophet. Already they're wrong. He is a prophet, but much more. He's also priest. He's also king. The word Hosanna, anybody know what it means? Save now. Save now. And they were skewed in their understanding of two elements of their salvation. They're crying, save now. But there were two things they didn't understand. Number one, they didn't understand its type what type of salvation they needed, what God wanted to do, and they didn't understand its timing when God wanted to do it. And you know what I've found? That's where we get skewed in our expectations. We get skewed about what God wants to do, and we get skewed about when he wants to do it. And when we get skewed about what he wants to do and when he wants to do it, that's when we get mad, that's when we turn on him in our heart. They wanted deliverance from Rome, and they wanted it right now. 
When they said save now, they weren't talking about heaven. They weren't talking about their souls. They were talking about Rome. And that was never God's intention. Additionally, in verses 10 and 11 of Matthew, they revealed their desire for a man who would enact wishes instead of a God who would expect worship. Could we put it more succinctly? Instead of God, they wanted a genie. Now, let's be honest. How many times do we treat God as a genie? We rub the bottle. This is what I want. Regarding our expectations, are we surrendered to what God wants to do and when he wants to do it? And if not, we stand to forfeit all kinds of blessings. So if we want to get the most out of God's blessings, we've got to think much on the planning of seasoned experts. The priority of spiritual example, the peril of skewed expectations, and then finally, think much on the passion of the Savior's engagement. Now, in Mark, we don't see a lot of this. In verse number 11, and Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple, and when he had looked around about upon all things, and now the eventide was come, he went out unto Bethany with the twelve. That doesn't tell us a whole lot about his passion. But it does when you go to Luke 19. So let's, let's, find, let's find our way to Luke 19. Let's see Luke's, um, Luke's rendering. It's interesting. If you look at the geography, as they make their way towards Jerusalem from Bethphage, the path allows a partial glimpse, just a partial glimpse of one corner of the city wall. As you're walking down this road, you're, you're, actually, you're actually about to head downhill, and you can only see just a corner of, of Jerusalem's city wall. But after a dip, the road rises, and right there before you is the Temple Mount in all its glory. Now, sadly, it's not there now, but in Jesus' time, Herod's temple was a magnificent piece of architecture. And there it was. And it's at this point that we see the depth of Jesus' investment in those he loves. Luke 19, verse 41. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. That word weep there means a deep wailing cry. All these people are cheering him and laying down palm branches and Hosanna, Hosanna. And Jesus is on this donkey weeping. Saying, here's what he says. If thou it's known, even thou, at least in this thy day. What's he talking about this, that day? You got to go to the book of Daniel for that. And I'm not tonight. Brother, Brother Earl wants me to, but I'm not. But just to give you a synopsis, this, that day, if you go to Daniel, you find out it's talking about that everything that Jesus wanted to do for them. What he wanted to do. 
If thou hadst known, even thou at least, in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench round about thee, and compass thee round, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. This would happen roughly 37 years later. 70 A.D., the Roman general Titus would come in and they would absolutely level the temple. He mourns that they would never know their opportunity and they would never know his willingness. So what are we to consider today? This passion of the Savior's engagement. We have opportunity. And he has no shortage of willingness. One of two things is going to happen here. We're either going to build that family life center or I'm going to die harping on the Family Life Center. Because I believe we have an opportunity and I believe we have a God that's willing. believe that with all my heart. There are people that I'm praying for right now, consistently. I refuse to give up on Because I believe there's an opportunity. And we have a God that's willing. And I'm going to tell you something. If we will learn to pray in light of our opportunity and his willingness, you won't believe the blessings that will come. <laughs> we forfeit blessings when we lose sight of how much Jesus loves us. And how badly he wants to move in our lives. There was a preacher of yesteryear, and I don't, I want to say it was John R. Rice, but I can't say that with certainty. But they talk about, the Bible doesn't say it, but it makes sense to me. They talk about this large room in heaven. And that maybe when we get to heaven, God takes us into those, that room and there's just as far as you can see, just shelves and shelves of boxes, gifts. You say, Lord, what was that? What is that? He says, these are all the blessings that went unclaimed, that went unasked for. Man, I don't want any of them to have my name on it. Forgive me if this sounds spiritually greedy, but I want everything God's got for me right now. And you should too. We are a blessed people. 
The Jews were a blessed people, more so than anybody on the earth. And I dare say that today we're more blessed than anybody on the earth. I realize that's relatively speaking, but he came to them and presented himself, and they rejected him, and it was a monumental forfeiture. No thanks. But we dare not be hard on them when every day he presents before us blessings. We just forfeit them. Why? Because we don't pay attention to the planning of seasoned experts. We don't make a priority of spiritual example. We don't watch for the peril of skewed expectations. And we don't recognize the passion of our Savior's engagements. Man, may the Lord help us to do all those things and never forfeit one of his blessings again. Next week, with his help, I am am looking forward to this. Jesus curses a fig tree. That doesn't mean, it didn't say he cussed it. There's a difference. He curses a fig tree. And you look at it and you say, what in the world did that fig tree do to anybody? Poor little fig tree. Oh, let me tell you something. There is an amazing truth being communicated there. Amazing truth. And I'm looking forward to talking about that fig tree. And I'm going to tell you something. It had an impact on the disciples too. You'd think seeing Lazarus come back from the dead would do something to them. But it looks like they got more of a, more of a push out of the fig tree than they did Lazarus. We'll get into that next week with the Lord's help.